Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 324. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy that you're here to join us today. I'm also thrilled to introduce our guest, Jenny Nash. Jenny is the founder and a book coach at Author Accelerator. Jenny, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. I have to say, I've been having bloopers all day, so I'm so happy with myself that I managed to make it through your introduction like without stumbling over my words. Very nicely done. <laughs> Yeah, I'm giving myself a big pat on the back. Listeners, you know, positive productivity is not about perfection. And today has just been one of those days. I have not managed to burn anything yet, though. (laughs) (laughs) Jenny, I would love if you would do yourself more justice. Wow, that sounded bad, but I meant it all good. But give the listeners a little bit more about your background and how you got to where you are today. I would love to. The first thing I should probably explain is what a book coach even is, because a lot of people have never heard of it and don't know what it is. And I shall start with that. So a book coach is like a personal trainer for your writing life, where instead of going to the gym to get fit, you come to a book coach to finish your project. So it's editorial support and accountability and feedback while you're writing so that you can get to the end of your draft or your polished draft in much better shape with much more efficiency than you would otherwise. That's what book coaching is. And I came to book coaching completely by accident. I was a writer. I had a long career as a writer and before that, a long career in publishing. I worked at a publishing house. I've worked at a magazine staff. I've taught at the UCLA Writers Program, which is actually the largest adult um, writing program in the country, mostly because we're in LA and it's all the TV and screenplay stuff wrapped up in it. But I teach in the nonfiction, creative and fiction um, writing side. So I had a, a whole career as those things, that side of publishing. And I'm the author of seven books, six of which were published by big five publishers and one of which I published myself. And so I've been all over the map in the publishing universe. And when I began to teach at UCLA, I learned something about myself that I didn't know, which is that I have a very strategic mindset about the creative process. And I approach it in a very strategic way. I didn't know that I did that. And I didn't know that it was different, that a lot of creative people don't have that piece of the puzzle. And Yeah, you're talking to one of those. (laughs) (laughs) But people would come to me, my colleagues would come to me to ask the strategic questions about their work and how to do this and that. I'm very market focused as well. I am very focused on writing books that are going to get read and going to get bought and sold. And so people started coming to me. One of my colleagues, Lisa Cron, who is very well known in the writing world now for her book, Wired for Story and Story Genius. Uh, She came to me with her first book idea. And she said, I can't do this by myself. I've tried. I can't get it out of my head. It's just this, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know where to start. I don't know how to move forward. I keep getting stuck. And I really want to write this book. Will you help me? She sort of said, will you hold my hand all the way through? And 
I said, yeah, I can do that. I didn't know how I would do that, but I knew I could do that. And so together we we did that work and she ended up getting a two book deal at 10 Speed, which is a division of Random House. And suddenly I had people knocking on my door wanting the same thing. And I, I really never looked back from being, from coaching other people. I, I continued to have a lot of success with it. And I found this really curious thing, which was that I found it as engaging and exciting and satisfying as doing my own work. So I found that the the creative process is just a process I love, whether I'm doing it or whether it's somebody else's process. And that is what's propelled me forward. And four years ago, I started Author Accelerator, which is a company that takes my systems and strategies and trains book coaches to deliver that same sort of handholding or personal training for your writing life to lots and lots of writers. I have 26 book coaches working for me author accelerator and it's just a complete thrill. So I'm an accidental book coach and an accidental entrepreneur and I couldn't be more excited about where I am in my work life and what I get to do every day. Oh my gosh, I hear that. I mean, accidental mom of five. Yes, I know how it happens. marketing automation person. I mean, I thought I had it all planned out back when I was younger, but clearly, as I believe a lot of entrepreneurs experience, we didn't really know. I don't want to say anything. I knew a lot. Yeah. And what I love about, well, I'm going to be 54 in May and I've raised two kids and they're gone from the house and I've had all these different careers. and, And I feel the thing people always talk about, which is everything I've done in my life just has gone toward what I'm doing now. It's like I was meant to do what I was doing now and all those twists and turns and ups and downs and all the, you know, I was like you, I thought I had it all planned out too. And I'm doing nothing like what I thought I was going to do. And it's better than what I thought I was going to do. And I just happy to have lived so long to get to experience this because it's the coolest. Jenny, one of my favorite questions to ask is if you could go back and change anything, do you think you would still be where you are today? Or do you think you needed to go through what you went through before now to get to where you are? Yeah, you know, you can always think, oh, I wish I had known this or that or about the world or about myself. You know, you can always say that. But yeah, I do. I look back on all the things and I think, I mean, here's a perfect example. I said in my little intro that I self-published my seventh book. That was because it was massively a big failure of many things, including my own ego, I guess I could say. There were just so many things around the publication, the writing and the publication of this book that went wrong and that went sideways. And I just kept sort of pushing this bad energy around and trying to make something out of it that it was never going to happen. And you know, it was a disaster. And there were some days in the process of that, that were really bad days. And there were many days where I thought, well, that's it. I I'll never do anything again, that I'm proud of, or, you know, all the things that you think I'm not really a writer, it was all those six books before were just a fluke, you know, the whole thing that you'd say to yourself. And that was not fun by any stretch of the imagination. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But it actually is a thing that I think made me realize what people needed in the creative process and what they didn't need. And the, you know, just really made me a much better support to people going through that process. So, you know, if somebody if I have a 
client who's going through some sort of massive rejection, you know, season of rejection, or they're not getting the sales they wanted, or whatever thing is not happening for them. I know exactly what that feels like. And I also know exactly what helps. And what helps is always just to go back and do the work, do more work, you know, do something else, just move on. But if I hadn't had that negative experience, I wouldn't have that wisdom. So it's such a cliche to say, you know, all the things made me who I am and gave me my, I hate that because it just sounds so ridiculous, but it's actually totally true. (laughs) Oh, it is totally true, actually. On the day that we're recording this, I've just released episode 306 with Kimmy Morton and Pua Pakeli and Kabot. And what we talked about in their chat was that our mess has made our message. So Mm. while I would have loved to have met my husband way before I did. Everything that I've gone through up till now has made me who I am now. I mean, if I hadn't gone through all my struggles, then I would have no content for the podcast. Yeah. Or I mean, I would, but it wouldn't, it would definitely not be the same. Yeah. It's a, it's a journey and you have to go through it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like though, and we were talking about this pre-chat that authors often write the books that they themselves need. It sounds like you needed one of you while you were going through book seven. Yeah, I did. And it's funny because I often think that in my own head, I wish that I had myself for myself. Um, and I and I have sought that sort of help. I mean, that's another thing about getting older and, and wiser and achieving certain levels of success is one thing I just know for sure is how powerful it is to ask for help. And I think women especially are not good at that. And one of the things I find as a barrier to people hiring a book coach is that they think, well, I can do that by myself. I don't need help. Why do I need help to do whatever the thing is? I can figure it out. And especially if you're a person who takes action and you're a person who likes to learn and has a growth mindset, you know, you can go look up anything on the internet and learn how to do it and learn what steps are and learn the process. And it's very easy to think that you don't need help. And I did need help back then. I did not ask for it. But that voice in my head that says, oh, I wish I had me for other things. I've gone out and found that for myself and found the support that I need and the the act of asking for help is sort of magical, actually. Because first of all, you have to know what to ask for. What kind of help do I need? Why? And that's often the biggest problem. Right? (laughs) Yeah. 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 I choked on my coffee when you said, because I, I was on mute and I was taking a sip of my coffee. I choked when you said, you know, that we need that person because I was like, are you talking to me? You're talking to me. <laughs> Listeners, you've heard me talking about chronic idea disorder, my book, since I launched this podcast at the end of 2016. And I can tell you that it doesn't fill up any more than a couple pages on a Google Doc. Yeah, it's interesting. So you, you know, you do sort of need to then ask yourself, I mean, I have this in my own business. You have this with your book. You need to ask yourself, why am I not doing this? What is really going on there? And I have this in my own business with a problem that I have refused to solve. I know intellectually exactly what I need to do. That's the part you can look up on Google. I know exactly what needs to happen, but it wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. And I was kind of getting embarrassed the number of times that people have said to me, so what are you doing to solve that problem? And actually, I was on vacation with one of my my dear friends from high school. And, 
you know, we see each other maybe twice a year for a weekend. And, you know, so we catch up on our lives and what's going on. And I was telling her what's going on with my business and what my challenges were and this and that. She said, she looked at me and she said, you know, you've been saying that same thing for four years. And it was sort of like, oh no, I was so caught. And that was the moment where I thought, okay, I need help with this. I I need somebody to help me face this and do this and get past this. And, and actually after our conversation today, I'm getting on an airplane. I hired somebody to help me with this who has a program that's fantastically expensive where you you jet into where she is and you spend the whole day with her. It's like a boot camp uh, solving whatever problem you're coming to solve. Uh, she's a business strategist um, person and I am so excited. Just the act of asking for this help, of knowing what I needed, of finding the person I wanted to hire, of putting the money down, you know, which is, which is a kind of an energy. And it's been, I signed up for it about a month ago. And that month has, I've been made more progress towards solving this challenge than I have in the four years. And, you know, it's, so yeah, it's asking for help. And that's, I'm on the other side of that as a book coach of, you know, being the recipient of the, the, the askers. I don't know what that person is, the, you know, the one who is asked. And I know it's a sacred thing for somebody to ask for help and to let you into whatever their challenge is. And I, I mean, it's just a huge honor and responsibility to, to be in that kind of trust with people. And I, Having just now done it myself, I've done it several times recently, actually. I try to spend the same amount of money on myself and my business that I'm asking people to spend on me because I want to know what that feels like. Yes, I love that very much. I just want to share with you and also with listeners where some of my reservation has come from, I think, with actually putting time aside for my book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's, let's hear it. But I want to back up a little bit. Three years ago, I was working 100% of the time on client work. I wasn't putting any time towards building my brand. And honestly, I didn't know what my brand was. But when I figured that out, I was very resistant to pull back on the client work so I could start focusing on building my brand. I was concerned that, you know, I would be missing out on income and what that would mean for the family. But as it grew and grew, I mean, now I'm probably, oh, positive productivity dogs chime in. Now I'm probably 70% on my own brand and 30% in client work now. I have to say it's a little bit painful at times, but I'm absolutely loving what I do. And another thing, even though that would still be building my own personal brand, taking time away from what I'm already doing to do something else new is concerning to me. Well, and you're wise in a certain way because writing a book is an extremely complex undertaking. It's usually far more complex than people think it's going to be. It takes longer than they think it's going to take. If they want to do it well, it's a long-term project. And you can't just kind of tack that on, you know, willy-nilly. You have to, especially in the beginning of a project when you're framing it and really understanding what you're doing and why you're doing it and all of that thinking work it takes time. I mean, I applaud you in a certain way for not, I think it's worse. I think it's better to just simply not do it than to do it badly. Absolutely. And I think that's another reason that I haven't done it yet because 
With so many other parts of my business, I mean, and considering the book is called Chronic Idea Disorder, in any other part of my business, when I get inspired to do something, then I face that battle of, well, am I going to do it or am I not? You know, and most, a lot of the time I do, which gets in the way of actually writing the book, but I haven't been getting those inspirations of exactly where to start, but I also haven't given the time or space, I think. I think there's actually just a brick wall there that I need to take the backhoe to because I know that if I just let a leak through, that it's going to be like the Hoover Dam breaking and everything's just going to pour out and then, oh my gosh, watch out world. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting the reasons that we don't see something through or we don't start or we get stuck in the middle. All the reasons for that are so fascinating. And they, you know, there's so much written and said about procrastination or, you know, whatever, whatever the term you want to use is. But but the reasons, the reasons why we don't do them are, are always going to go back to something very deep and very personal. And, you know, who knows what that is with you and your idea, because you you have external validation that this idea is fantastic. I mean, when you told me the title, I was just like, oh, that's an amazing book. It's an amazing book. It Nobody's written that. Everybody wants that. Every creative person knows what that is. It's a fantastic iteration of that idea. I mean, heard I've heard people talk about that idea like a lot, but the way you put those three words together, chronic idea disorder is fantastic. You have an agent, you have an editor waiting for it. You know, you have so much external validation. And most of the time people think that's what they need. And when they come to me asking for a book coach, they frequently ask this question, is my idea good enough? is or my page is good enough? Is this good enough? And it's such an interesting question because you can't answer it for one thing, right? (laughs) Like, you know, the market rewards execution, not ideas. I didn't say that. That's a quote from Scott Adams, the creator of Dilbert. The marketplace rewards execution, not ideas. And, you know, so you have to do the thing before you know if the thing is going to work. And, but people want to know, they want that external validation. Is, is it good enough? Is it sh- worth my time? Should I do this? Should I, you know, all those things. And I said before, you can't answer that because it's never really about external validation. It, that's not really what the problem is. You know, there's some internal thing that they're not facing or they're not resolved. And, you know, there's proof of this. If you listen to Liz Gilbert, for example, in one of her famous TED Talks, and she talks about what do you do after you've had the biggest success of your entire life, and you know you're never going to write a book that good again. She's talking about eat, pray, love, and the success of that. How do you create after that? How do you go forward after that? You know, because it's not about external validation anymore, and it's not about making money anymore. She can make whatever she wants, really, you know, and it's not about will people love it? People will buy anything she writes. So then, you know, it you really get down to why do you create? Why do you want to spend time on this? What does this mean to you? And so for the rest of us who are not Liz Gilbert and probably will never be Liz Gilbert, how do we face into that? And, you know, so for you, there's something around this idea or being in the world with this idea or being known for this idea, or, you know, it could be fear. Oftentimes people think it's fear of failure. They don't want to be embarrassed with the book they put put out or, or they don't want to put out a book that they don't think is fantastic. You know, the what's on the page doesn't match the mm-hmm. vision in their head, but other times it's actually fear of success. 
do I want to be known for this when I've got all these other things that I'm known for? You see people who have great success with one idea and it just becomes their, I think of someone like Susan Cain who wrote the book Quiet right. about introverts. And, and now she has a sort of institute of certifies people to help businesses with introverts. And that's what she's known for. That's what she's about. And what happens when, you know, she wants to go out and write, I don't know, I don't know Susan Cain, and I don't know what she wants in the world. But let's just say she wants to write a romance novel. You know, that would be a really hard switch, because everybody knows her as the person who champions introverts in the workplace, you know, that's putting a stake in the ground and being known for a thing, it's closing a lot of doors. And so there's that fear that it will work that you'll write chronic idea disorder, you'll go out in the world, it's going to be a massive hit. And that's all anybody's going to ever want to ask you about for the rest of your life. It's almost like with actors who, Mm. who are often placed in this. Yes, exactly. I mean, Robin Williams, Mm -hmm. he was Mm -hmm. so often put in the in the funny roles in those times where he went into a serious role. Well, he probably wanted to do it. I mean, we can't ask him now, unfortunately. But it was almost harder to watch because it wasn't who we were expecting. Right. And you find yourself being disappointed. Why isn't, why aren't they letting him be Robin Williams? And Mm -hmm. he probably was an incredibly multifaceted actor, but we wanted him to be that one thing. And that's exactly true. And it's funny you brought him up because I was, I was thinking of um, comedians as well, like Tina Fey or. um, Meryl. Yeah. We just expect them. It's like, okay, we just want them to do what they do. And so that's a very, acting is a very um, public, a very physical thing. Writing is, writers don't have to be that much in public and and their product, what we make is not that physical, but it's the same type of thing. And somebody who has a lot of ideas and who has a lot to say and who has a very multifaceted career career might be afraid of the book working for that very reason. Mm-hmm. You know, I wrote a book, my second book uh, was a memoir about my experience with breast cancer. I'm a breast cancer survivor. And I wrote a book, I had a friend, the reason I knew that I had cancer, I was very, very young, I was 35. And I had two little kids. And the reason that I found out I had cancer was that one of my best friends from high school had been diagnosed with stage four lung cancer and given a month to live. And it was this sort of just incredibly horrible, tragic thing. And it was because of her that I saw treatment and found out that that I had a cancer at an early enough stage to deal with it and to be alive today. I wrote this book called The Victoria's Secret Catalog Never Stops Coming and Other Lessons I Learned from Breast Cancer. And it did very, very well in the, the marketplace. And I spent three years working with Ford Motor Company, who was a national sponsor of Komen Race for the Cure events. And they sent me all over the country to speak, to do TV, to do radio, to to talk to survivors and to you know go to luncheons. And it was an amazing time of my life. It was amazing to write a book that resonated like that. It was amazing to stand in front of people and share my story and hear their stories and and have them thank me and trust me. I mean, it was a writer's dream. And then there came a day where I sort of felt like a line in the sand where 
I felt like I was either going to be what was in my mind, I called it cancer girl. I was either going to be cancer girl or I was going to do something else. And what that meant to me was that I could write another book about cancer. I could start some sort of a write your cancer story program. There were at the time, a lot of people were starting to do research on the healing power of writing your story. And and I was asked to do some things around that. I could have sort of taken that up and run with it. And I left it all behind. And I wrote another book, which was actually another kind of failure, a different kind of failure. I wrote this book basically just to not write a cancer book, which is not a good idea for anybody out there wondering. Don't write a book to not do something else. (laughs) It doesn't work very well. But the point is I was cancer girl for those three years. Then I didn't want to be that anymore. And I wasn't famous enough by any stretch of the imagination that you know, nobody said, well, wait, we want you to write another cancer book or, you know, it wasn't like the world was asking that of me. I was just asking that of myself. I really left it behind quite dramatically and stopped doing all of that. And it was very lucrative. I made a lot of money speaking and I loved it, but it it was over. The season for that was over for me. And, you know, sometimes when you're reluctant to see a project through it may be because you're envisioning that, you know, if chronic idea disorder came out, you probably would spend three years doing workshops on it, doing podcast interviews on it, doing TV on it, do, you know, it would probably resonate for quite a long time. And which actually sounds amazing. <laughs> well, one thing that I would suggest, and I would suggest to anybody who is in the position you are, and just to make you feel better. Everybody's in the position you are who wants to write a book. There are so many people. It takes people a long time to actually do it. There's so many people who want to do it, who have the idea, who are called to it, who yearn to do it. And they're, for whatever reason, they're just not. One thing I always recommend is try to walk away from it. Try to leave it behind. Try to say, okay, I'm not doing that. And you probably can't. It sounds to me like you can't leave this idea behind. Jenny, I have to share. I have a mentor who suggested I leave it behind because I don't even know how it ends yet, considering I'm still dealing with chronic idea disorder. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so I tried for the last two or three months. I know that's not very long, but for the last two months, I have tried to the point that I even joined a challenge on how to write a book mm-hmm. that would build your business. Mm-hmm. And I came up with a whole nother idea, <laughs> complete with an outline for a different book, but I can't bring myself to write it because that's really not what I want to be writing on right now. I want to get chronic idea disorder out of my head. And what talk about and what I do have in my outline for the book is for chronic idea disorder is that I have basically a graveyard of ideas in my backyard. I call them shallow holes that I've dug with plastic spoons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And part of overcoming my own chronic idea disorder is actually finishing projects Mm -hmm. because I have left so many. I wouldn't even want to know how many books have been started out there. I mean, considering I have at least two 
okay, let's be serious. I have at least four or five, but I've just forgotten the other titles. It's such a big hooray to actually finish something. But that's, again, I want to do it right instead of just doing it. No pun intended. That was a good one, though. So try to walk away from an idea and you can't. And you you feel it in your body. It's almost like I often use the metaphor. It's like a ghost in the attic rattling the chains. Like you can't, it won't shut up. It's just in your head. And if you try and you can't, well, then you know you have to write this book. One thing that I think can really help is to do what what I was just talking about. Envision what it will be like to be out in the world with that book in very specific detail. What will you be doing? Where will you be with that book? A book is a gateway to our society for whatever reason lifts book writers up to, you know, we elevate them. We see them as expert in a way that we don't see people who don't have a book. And so, you know, picture yourself as that expert. Where will you be speaking? Who will you be on panels with? Where will you be signing that book? Who will come up and talk to you? Who will you influence? You know, what's the dream podcast you would be on? What's the dream radio show? And in very, very specific detail, picture. I have an exercise I always do in when I teach a class, which is, I call it the, the Oprah ex- exercise. So it's, okay, you're, you've written this book, you're going to go on Oprah. What we do is everybody has to say what they're going to wear so that you can literally picture yourself. There's no more Oprah TV show. So now you have to go on Super Soul Sunday. So, you know, you're going to walk out on this big stage in this big auditorium. What are you going to wear? What shoes are you going to wear? How are you going to do your hair? And how is Oprah going to introduce you? What is she going to say you're known for that you're about or that you blew her mind over? And to really specifically see that and picture that. And we go around the room and everybody has to say, you know, what they're wearing and what the message is. And It's just a way of making it real what that will be like to have a book in the world and to be known for that in the world. And to, you know, for someone like you to see how that book could impact your business. I mean, I love what you said before that you have shuffled your time to spend a significant amount of your hours on your own brand and your own business. And writing a book is a a powerful expression of that. And what would that do for your business? What would allow you to be more discerning with the clients you serve? Would allow you to have guests on your podcast who you don't dream you would ever say yes to you? Would it allow you to write the next book? Would it, you know, like, would it get you enough money that you could send a kid to college? Like, really picture how it would impact your life and your business. I sometimes find that really helps rather than just hammering away at the outline or what's going to be in it, really think about what's it going to be like to have this book. Does that resonate at all with you? I can't picture what I would wear to see Oprah, but I can picture (laughs) giving her a big hug. Right? Yeah. And what would she say? Oh, I, I can hear her soft voice. And because I actually subscribe to the Super Soul Sunday podcast. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That would be huge. Right? Yeah. That will be huge. I'm not going to say it would be will be. Right. So yeah, I would skip over the what's in it part and go to the what's it going to do for you part. And that's what I call um, the deep level why. I have a piece on Medium uh, that recently came out, a blog on Medium called the deep level why. And it comes from the Simon Sanic, mm-hmm. start with why. Yeah. 
It absolutely comes from that. But for a writer, you know, a business needs to figure out why they're doing what they're doing. And that's what Simon Sinek's whole thing is about is know why you exist as a business. But for a writer, it's a really personal, deep level why. And you've got to really get down to why do you care enough about this to bring this out into the world? Why does this matter to you? And really why? Not just, oh, because everybody has chronic idea disorder and it's such, you know, all the entrepreneurs are stuck and I want to help them. You know, that's all great, but that's the surface. It's, we want to get down into like, really, yeah, why? You know, why? That's, that's why? the flaw. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I have to say something to occupational hazard. I can't not book coach anybody ever, but I heard you say, I can't finish this book because I don't know how it ends. My immediate reaction was, Kim, wait a second. That's totally the wrong framework. That's totally the wrong question. The title of your book is Chronic Idea Disorder. People who have chronic disorders have to learn to live with them. They don't get over them. I think you just changed my subtitle. Right? Overcoming to conquering because we can conquer it and not cure it, right? Right. Or how about living with like somebody who has chronic fatigue syndrome doesn't get over it. Somebody who has chronic migraines doesn't stop having them. That would be me, by the way. You have to learn to live with them. You have to learn to, to accept them. You actually have to learn to embrace it. It's like, it's like, and also chronic idea disorder. When, if you're saying, I don't know how it ends, I don't know how to cure it. What you're saying is it's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. I have chronic idea disorder really bad. And that's actually terrible English, but have it back. Positive productivity does not mean perfect grammar. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing. You could not pry it out of my cold, dead hands because it's the thing that's gotten me all the good Mm -hmm. stuff. I have an idea a minute and I have four full-time employees who work for me and I'm embarrassed when how many great ideas I have and their job. I mean, I hired them for this, particularly my manager of operations. I hired her to say, no, you will not be doing that. No, we will not be doing that. And so I'll come with these great ideas. I'm like, you guys, I talked to someone. We're going to do this thing. There's going to be this partnership and we're going to do this webinar. We're going to do this class. And they're like, no. And, and I get mad at them. I'm like, you can't tell me no. I'm in charge. I hired you. This is a great idea. And they're like, no. <laughs> and, you know, so I know that's what I've done to help manage my chronic uh, idea disorder. But don't take it away from me. It's my superpower. I think you're just framing it. I don't know. If I were coaching, I would say, I think you're framing it wrong. Actually, you know what? I'm not going to give away too much right here, but you just actually pulled the other book for me into chronic idea disorder. And I see perfectly well how the two will mesh together now. And I'm honestly, listeners, you've heard me talk plenty about sleep and why we need to get it. And I have to admit, I stayed up way too late last night because I had chronic idea disorder and I was working on something. So (laughs) I wish I had a little bit more energy so I could get started on it tonight. But that's what series four and the five minute drive to and back from daycare. That was not proper grammar either. <laughs> I know where I'm going. The outline just became, oh my gosh, like all those dots in my head just piece themselves together. Well, send me, right? Book jacket copy. That's what I always have people do. So 
in, I have envision where you're going to ha- be in the world with this book. That's one thing, you know, the Oprah test. And then just write the book jacket, jacket copy. Don't write anything else because you can get the whole idea in what's going to be on the back of the book. And if you write that up and send it to me, I would love to see it and I will comment upon it and send it back to you. I will have that in your inbox tomorrow. Do it. Tomorrow, though, I'm going to be at my boot camp. So you'll have to. I need to commit to tomorrow and you can get back to it when you get back to it. But yeah, Kim, chronic idea disorder is not going away. It's it's a superpower. You should be blessed if you have chronic idea disorder. I mean, I am married to a person. I've been married for 29 years to my husband. I, I love him with all my heart. He's amazing. Everything. He does not have chronic idea disorder. He thinks I'm crazy. He's thought I have been crazy for the 33 years that he's known me. You know, he just looks at me like, really? Another idea? Really? You're, you're sitting there at night typing this thing out? Like, why don't you sit down and watch a movie? Why don't you sit down and read a book? Why don't you sit down and have a glass of wine? I'm like, I got an idea. I got to go. I mean, he thinks I'm crazy. So I know that there are people who do not have it. I mean, I don't look at him and pity him because I love him and he's awesome in his own way and in different ways. And honestly, if I were married to a person with chronic idea disorder, it would we would go crazy. Them. My husband doesn't have it either. Yeah. But look at the people who don't have it. Isn't it kind of a little sad? <laughs> it is a little bit sad, but it also keeps me sane. No, for a partner, for sure. But... Like, yeah. aren't you, don't you think it's awesome to have it? Oh, yeah. So that's what you have to write about. It's like, okay, you have it. What are you going to do now? How are you going to manage it? How are you going to get through the day when you have 47 great ideas? How are you going to actually pick one? How do you know which one to pick? What happens if you pick one and you don't like it anymore? How long do you give it? How do you know like when to push past the thing and finish it? And how do you know when to walk away? Like, give us all that because... My chronic idea disorder is not going away and neither is yours and neither of us would want it to. No. Listeners, welcome to the live book coaching session between Jenny Nash and Kim Sutton. (laughs) Oh my gosh, you have just kicked my butt in the best way possible. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I wish there... Okay, sometimes I do wish I could clone myself. However, I know that the other me would probably do all the fun stuff because I do love to learn and like do all of it myself. But I do wish tonight there was another one of me. The other one would go sleep so I could get to this. Also, tell me what you're going to wear on Oprah because that matters because that's how you are in the world, right? How What you're going to be known for. What are people going to see when they see a person with chronic idea disorder? Okay. In spirit of true authenticity, I have to be comfortably me. I obviously can't go on in pajama pants and whatever I'm wearing on top. I think a t-shirt right now. I'm looking. (laughs) So I would want to wear a nice uh, turquoise is my color, turquoise sweater. And Oprah, does she wear jeans? I don't know that I've ever seen Oprah in jeans. Like I I just want to have a comfortable chat. Okay. A nice pair of gray slacks and flat Tom's, I'm even putting a name on them, Tom's shoes so I won't trip when I'm walking towards her because I definitely don't want to take Oprah down. Well, I think you might be in the in the wicker chairs in the garden under her oak trees. Yeah. It, in, in your, you know, I think it's the chat happens there. So Tom's is really appropriate. Yeah, Tom's is appropriate. For the, the garden chat. <laughs> well, I have to say that I was recently had the great honor of teaching three classes at Creative Live. 
And it was one of the types of things that I've always wanted to do a, a big live audience. And I love, I love teaching in front of an audience. And I had to prepare these three classes. It was, it was quite intense, a, a very compressed period of time to prepare these classes. And I had a lot of work to do and it was over the holidays and the whole thing. And I'm not kidding. I spent so much time shopping for what I was going to wear. And it was, it kind of got ridiculous. There was one day when the FedEx guy came to my door and he was, it looked like a movie. It was so comical. He had five massively big boxes of things that I had ordered. They were big because they were boots. I was really worried about shoes, you know, these five massively big boxes. And I was like, quickly get them inside so nobody sees because I was so embarrassed. And then I thought, that's ridiculous. I'm fussing about what I'm wearing because I want to be, like you said, I want to be comfortable. I want to be authentic. I want to be myself. I want to reflect my success. I want to reflect my, that people can trust me. Like there were so many things wrapped up in what I was wearing. And I, so I gave myself a break and it's like, you know what, if I have to go to Nordstrom 47 times and buy and return things to get the right thing, that's what I'm going to do. And you know, it, I, I ended up with, I had to have three different outfits. That was, was why it was so hard. And I was really happy with what I wore and I felt really good and it really mattered in the end. So I think thinking about what you wear is actually really powerful. You know, I have to just confess why that is such a difficult question for me. I went to the new media summit last September and I'll be going again in a couple of weeks where I'm an icon. Oh, cool. And I didn't know what I was going to wear to that. And I really don't like shopping. And I'm, pardon my mouth, I had a brain or I've had a brain fart just now and I can't remember what service I used. However, I went on, told them my size, told them where I was going. They asked for my social media profile so that they could get an idea of who I was. And they sent me a box with two complete outfits and a pair of shoes. This is the coolest thing ever. Did you love them? Oh, I absolutely loved it. That's yeah. so there were good. Things that I just wouldn't have picked out on my own, but I absolutely loved them. Well, I'm already in my head thinking about where you're going to get your turquoise sweater. So. <laughs> yeah, me too. Jenny, this has been such a fantastic chat. You have given me so much inspiration and I know you are inspiring the listeners as well. Where can they learn more about you and get in touch? I would love for people to come visit authoraccelerator.com. We have a special six-step writing challenge. It's at authoraccelerator.com backslash productivity. So that's just for your listeners. And it's the six first things that I ask everybody who's working on a book. And the very first thing is what's your deep level why? So you'll have a chance to listen. I have some videos and some lessons about that and a chance, you'll have a chance to write that. And then there's five other framework questions to ask about your book idea to get you started. It's part of my blueprint for a book process, which is what I use to help people get from zero off the ground and build a solid foundation for their for their book. So authoraccelerator.com backslash productivity. And that's uh, six writing challenges. And it's free. It's fun. You can get a kind of taste of what it's like. And and then if you're interested in working with a book coach, you can check out our services. Awesome. Listeners, that link and 
books that we've talked about and all the resources that we've talked about will be in the show notes at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP324. Jenny, again, thank you so much. Like times 10,000. I can't even say it any better than that. I'm so excited for your book. I suppose I should be more eloquent. (laughs) I love your book. The second I heard it, I'm like, oh, that's awesome. I'm so excited now that I'm speechless and I don't really know where to go. So I am just going to ask you, what is one last piece of parting advice or a golden nugget that you can offer to the listeners? A golden nugget. Um, After our conversation, I would have to say write with intention. That's really the key to everything is just write with intention, which means know what you're writing, know why you're writing it, know who you're writing it for, know what you want it to give you. All of that intention is is what you need to, to move forward. And so often we promise quick fixes, you know, in our society now, an instant bestseller or a miracle method to writing a book. And there are none of those things. If you just stick with what your intention is and, and write with intention, you're going to get to where you need to go. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.